and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Halzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two tools trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. And right now is the perfect time to call because we can take some time and get your questions answered for you right here live on the spot this morning. Yeah, that's a fact. It's always best to call in real early in the show if you can. That's it. If you wait towards the end of the show, many, many, many times we have folks who are holding and we have to go, and that's just the way it is. They that, kinda, that's it. That's the way it is. <laughs> they kind of give us a boot on it. That's the way radio works. You yep. can't just say, well, give me another minute. <laughs> right. <laughs> you got what you got, and that's what you get. So. Yep. But yeah, give us a call right now. It'll be a perfect time to call in. We'd be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction and, and get you a good full answer. That's right. And if you're out of town, you can always put a 225 in front of that number that Lewis just handed out a while ago. That's right. And that will get you to us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We always like hearing from our out-of-town guests, all those folks who are up there in that frigid north. <laughs> of course, it's about 70 degrees here right now. I'm walking out with a T-shirt on. I know. I don't, I don't want to rub it in. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here it was. It was under freezing for three days last yeah, week and we had unusually cold weather for, yes, our, we did. for our part of the country doing an article on preparation for cold weather and i was doing just a little bit of research for the article and one thing i saw i was looking for the average temperature the average temperature in south louisiana is 69 degrees wow that's year round year round average mm-hmm. huh which isn't bad now if it could stay 69 that'd be a different matter oh that that it would year round 69 just, degrees we got a lot of them 110 degree days that have to be balanced out by i know it <laughs> i know it it does get cold, but it's usually very occasionally. Yeah, and, very occasionally. And the hot is you, a whole, usually years in between freezing spells. That's right, and the hot's a whole lot more prevalent. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to our phone lines. Herb, good morning, Herb. Good morning. Good morning. A friend of mine got a 460 Ford engine in a motorhome. Okay. And the the rear cylinder on the driver's side the other day he heard a loud racket and it mm-hmm. blew the blew the spark plug out. Yes, sir. What it didn't blow the whole thing. The it blew the complete mm-hmm. porcelain, including the little electrode on the end. It was hanging on the spark plug wire. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Didn't damage it at all, and it and the nut part disappeared, but the threads and the little curly cue on the end that the spark jumps to is mm-hmm. still in there, and he ain't had no luck getting it out. And I was just wondering if you had any ideas. Mm-hmm. You have to get that out with some type of an easy out, and it's pretty difficult to get to on that engine because of how it's situated in the vehicle, and it's kind of sit down they in can there. Get it, you're getting it from the floorboard, you know. Right. Yeah, Inside. it's pretty difficult to reach the actual part you need to get to, though. you just going to have to get some type of tool and get down there and try to catch it and back it out. If you just can't, the next step is going to be pulling the cylinder head on the engine. Yeah, he put an easy out, mm-hmm. and it twisted the easy out bent, but I was afraid he... Yeah, don't break that off in it. I was going to say. If you break that easy out in that cylinder head, then you're really, really going to have major issues. I think tapping it in, he was forcing the remnants back into the thread, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it kind of screwed the yeah, curly cued in. He would have really been a whole lot better off to take that to somebody who knew what they are doing before he started. Cause <laughs> yeah. If he screws it up, it's going to definitely be the head coming off the engine. Right. That's what I told him. So I just want to know if you had any magic over there. No, no, sir. There is a tool that we've got where we can replace the threads in that cylinder head pretty effectively. And worst case scenario, if he's boogered the threads up, but we can still get that remnant out, we can replace the threads in the head without taking the head off. There's a special set of tools that do that. But that's hopefully you wouldn't have to get to all that. But if you do, sometimes you can do that as well. Okay. All righty. Thanks, sir. Okay, Herb. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Darren online. Good morning, Darren. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, Good sir. Good morning. Intake, induction, flush. You know anything about that? Yeah, all about it. It's the same <laughs> as a transmission flush? No, it's, it's, it's flush? snake oil. Yeah, it's absolute snake oil. 
just something, that, something trying to sell you. Well, you see that a lot, Darren. I'm not going to use any names because we just don't do that on the show. But sure. you go somewhere where, let's say, they either have warranty on a vehicle or something like that, and, or you're going back for a recall or something like that, and they don't make very much money on those services. In fact, warranty and recalls pay them about half the going rate. So they've got your car. They're not making money on what they're doing. So what they've done is invented a whole series of wallet flushes to sell you to try to make up the difference. The techs in those shops are working on commission, and they're not making much on what you're coming in there for. So they've already got you there. Another twist on the same thing is they'll offer a low, low-cost oil change to get you in the door. Then they're going to try to sell you all these high-dollar wallet flushes to make up their profit. What you do is go back to them and say, show me in the owner's manual anywhere where it says this is required service. And it's not. <laughs> but, no, it's just strictly just a, a wallet flush. I figured it was. And the worst part of it was that parts were $49 and mm-hmm. the labor was another $120. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've seen that service what? offered anywhere from 150 to $400. Oh. And abs- does absolutely no good. Nothing. It's just, I guess, they think one's more than every minute. They, you know, they offer to enough people, a lot of them bite on it. I was going to say. All righty. Thank All right. you. All right. All right, Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. It's a shame it has to come to that. It really is, and I understand how that problem has evolved. Right. I don't agree with it. I don't endorse it, but I do understand how it has come to be because in operations that are forced by the manufacturer to do warranty work at a loss, bought a franchise, and they're going to make a lot of money selling cars. They're going right. to make a killing selling parts. They can charge customers whatever they want, but on warranty work, they only make a little bit of money, if, Correct. If, if not losing. Now, the problem is the techs that work there are generally on a commission basis, and they really didn't buy into this deal, but that they're That's just sucked a, into right. it. <laughs> and you got a guy there, he's trying to make a living to feed his family, and he gets three or four warranty jobs. Well, he's not really making any money, and so the next step is he quits and goes somewhere else. Well, so, and the, the thing on top of that is – they got a shop full of technicians. That's right. You know, they may have 10 or 12 technicians more. in the shop, mm-hmm. and they only got enough work for maybe two. That's right. So that has to be spread out amongst all 12 technicians that are there. And so to try to make it up to them, what they do is they come up with all these wallet flushes that are extremely low input and very high output. Correct. You hook a little machine up of some sort. You run some potion or lotion through the car, and you walk away. You go do something else, and you collect a whole bunch of money. Sure. And so it's lucrative enough to where they can afford to, the shop's making a bunch of money, the tech's making some money. You're basically subsidizing the losing on the warranty Correct. and recalls and all the other stuff. It's similar to an article I wrote once called the $50 aspirin, and people were noticing on their hospital bill they would be charging them $50 for an aspirin. And what it was, because the hospitals were mandated that they couldn't turn anybody down, people were coming in the emergency room, they could not refuse them, and they knew they weren't going to get paid for it. So they were losing a bunch of money on that. Well, what it did is they started charging people $50 for an aspirin to try to cover it. You know, you were subsidizing the people who weren't paying. And like I said, it's just not a very good situation, but it's one that exists. And about all the customer can do is just kind of educate himself or herself enough to know what's going on here. Right. And don't allow them to say this kind of junk. Correct. And if enough people stand up and say, hey, we're not going to put up with this anymore. Right. It may go away. Well, it It may or something new will come along. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. The transmission flushes were another thing they were doing quite a bit. They were pushing those really, really hard. And most of the manufacturers have come out with statements saying, do not flush our vehicles. I know GM's got a pretty strongly worded statement. Some of the others have got pretty strongly worded statement, do not. In fact, that statement also includes the injection flushing Uh and the intake flushing and all that. But 
what they've done is they just keep moving on to different things. Sure. And it's just a way to make a whole bunch of money. It's a very, very profitable thing they can do with very little amount of labor input that allows them to kind of subsidize some of the other stuff they lose money on. Sure, and, and it really doesn't take an A-class technician to no, do it either. No, you know, C-Tech, a, a C-tech can, do it. can do it, and they don't have to pay him near as much as they pay an right. A-Tech, so therefore they're making that much more money. Right, just kind of a real bad situation sure. that goes on. Hey, let's go back to our phone lines. Scott, good morning, Scott. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. All right, I have a 2000 Lincoln Town Car. I had uh-huh. it about six months. Okay. I uh, noticed when it was raining, it started raining, it would feel real loud from the belt. Mm-hmm. I went and bought a tensioner and another belt for it. Okay. And it's still doing it, but it's doing it only when the clutch engages. Yeah, on the mm-hmm. air conditioner. Mm-hmm. Right. From the compressor yes, or the air conditioner mm-hmm. clutch. Is it only when it's raining or wet? No, it does it when the clutch kicks in. It was doing it at first mm-hmm. I before I put the new tensioner and the belt. Mm-hmm. And so now it only does it when the clutch kicks in, the air conditioner clutch. Yeah, see, when the clutch engages, Scott, you're probably pulling 30 to 40 additional horsepower out of the engine because it takes that much to turn that air conditioner. And so any belt that is the least bit loose or misaligned or marginal or whatever is going to squeal at that time simply because the load gets much, much greater. What I would suspect if it's done it with two different belts, number one is it's possible depending on where you bought the belt, and don't tell me on air, but if you didn't buy it from a Ford dealer, if it's an aftermarket belt, a lot of times aftermarket belts just don't fit very well, and they will squeal, and they will squeal mostly with the air conditioner on. So that's one possibility. Another is that something is out of alignment slightly. It could be one of the idler pulleys. I think there's two on that engine. I believe so. It could be one of the pulleys on the engine maybe has more grooves in it than the others. You just bought the car, so you're not sure of the history. Let's say someone replaced the alternator at some point, and the alternator they put on had a five-groove pulley, and the rest of the system has a six-groove pulley. Well, it's going to run okay for a little while, but it's going to chew the belt up really, really fast. So these are the kinds of things. It could be the air conditioning compressor is possibly loose on the engine block, the mountings, and so the compressor is running slightly out of line, which will definitely make it squeal like that. So those are the kinds of things you're going to need to look for. And the final thing that would occur to me, it could be that the compressor clutch itself is making the squeal and not the belt. That would be kind of a long shot, but sometimes the bearing in the clutch or maybe the clutch is slipping slightly and could sound like a belt and not be the actual belt at all, and it's only going to do it when you turn the air conditioner on. Well, how much would you charge to just check the air conditioner? Because it's not blowing real cool. It takes a while. Mm-hmm. You charge a fed fee? No, sir. We charge by the hour. Scott, our rate is $90 per hour, and we charge in one-tenth of an hour increments. That means if I spend one-tenth of an hour, it's $9. If I spend a half hour, it's $45. If I spend an hour, it's $90. And that would take an hour or less. You know, it may not take a full hour. It may take me 15 minutes if it's To get obvious, it checked. To check it. Right. Just to check it. Yes, yeah, sir. That's how we build. We just find that's a lot fairer to the customer and fairer to us. We're not trying to profiteer on it. We're just trying to cover our expenses, and we sell time by the hour. So that's the way we do it. Now, other shops do things different ways. You could check around, but we could check it and tell you what's wrong. Many times you may have a pulley that's out of alignment. You may have a pulley that's bad. You might go in and check all the little idler pulleys and make sure they're tight, that they're not a bunch of slack in them and wobbling. Make sure none of them are rounded off because any of those things can cause a belt to be out of a line slightly. 
and it's just when the air conditioner kicks on, it drastically increases the load on that belt, so that's when it's going to squeal. A weak belt may run fine without the air conditioner, but when you kick that extra 40 horsepower of load on, that's when it's going to show up. Okay, well, that sounds great. Well, look, thank you. All right, sir. Scott. Hey, thanks for calling, man. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would certainly love to have you. That has been a problem with those cars for mm-hmm. a little while. Mm-hmm. A few of them have that issue, even in different uh, manufacturers. Serpentine belts in general is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I remember the Chrysler products for a while. Some of the caravans had a problem with belt squeal. Right. And they actually came out with a revised plate that you would put behind the pulleys, which would actually realign the pulley slightly. But with a serpentine belt, all those pulleys, all those little grooves have to match each other, and they all have to line up in almost perfect order because it's almost like five or six little tiny V-belts side by side. Exactly. And they all have to run in line with one another. What we see occasionally is that over the years, someone has changed something on the vehicle. Maybe they changed the idler pulley. Uh-huh. And some belt systems may have five grooves. Some may have six. Some may have a different number. But if they got an idler pulley for, say, a six-groove system, and they got a five-groove system on the car. Correct. You put it on. It's actually that belt is rubber, so it's flexible. It molds itself to fit in those grooves the best it can, rides on the tops of the grooves, sides of the grooves. But it's going to wear the belt out really, really quickly. It'll chew it up. It'll actually cut it to pieces in time. Uh-huh. I remember we had one come in, and the guy kept eating belts. About every three months, it was just tearing the belt to pieces. Right. And what we found is that someone had changed the alternator on it at one point in time, and the alternator they put back on the car had a six-groove pulley. It was a heavy-duty alternator, mm-hmm. and the car used a five-groove system. Now, to look at it, you couldn't really see it, but if you look close and counted the grooves, you could see there was one more. Right. The average person would look at it. It fit on the block. It had the correct pulley on it. Serpentine it belt. Turned. Five, it turned. So. Yeah, and it all yeah, seemed it went to work on okay. And the thing that was really, I guess, confusing is you could put a brand-new belt on it. It would work okay for a little while. Right. But very quickly, it would just chew that belt up. And once the belt got chewed up, it would go to squealing, and the belt would eventually jump off. And we eventually had to change the pulley on the alternator, and that fixed the whole problem. So exactly. Those are the kinds of things that can happen. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break, but we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. West. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true, like free beer tomorrow or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true? The low price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks, and more. Well, Agco says be smart. When you get the list, bring your vehicle to Agco and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Welcome back. Just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just go ahead and give us a call. It's 499-9526. And we've got all our lines wide open. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Hey, we got Marvin online. Good morning, Marvin. Good morning to good, you. Good morning. Yes, sir. I have a 2003 uh, Toyota Matrix. Okay. And my problem is I'm driving down the road, and it's an automatic. And when I let off the gas, you'll feel just a little jerk in the steering column. 
okay. steering wheel. Mm-hmm. What could that be? Marvin, a lot of times that's going to be something like a lower control arm bushing or something that's slightly loose. It uh-huh. has some slack in it. See, what's happening with a front-wheel drive car, when you're accelerating, the wheels are wanting to take off and the body's wanting to sit still because of the weight. So what happens is all that force goes through those control arms. Now, let's say there's some slack. Well, the wheel is going to pull forward until all the slack's taken up. Then it's going to drag the car behind it. Now, when you let off the gas, it reverses. The inertia of the car wants to keep going, but you just let off the gas so the drivetrain is going back. It's going to clunk back, and it's going to make your steering wheel kind of kick on you. That would be the most common but not the only thing. Mm-hmm. A couple other things that could possibly do that, something like a broken motor mount can do a similar thing because, again, when you're – accelerating that motor is torquing up because it's making power and it starts to lift in the front and the front mount let's say it's broken or has slack in it the motor may lift up slightly when you let off it's going to clunk back down okay the third thing is that comes to my mind something like an inner or outer tie rod that has some slack because again the same thing the dynamics of it all are that when the front wheels start to pull they want to actually pull into each other in the front in other words, they want to roll in a big circle toward each other well, the tie rods hold them in place. But, again, if there's some slack there, they're going to pull in under load. Pull but when you let off, out. it's going to slack back the other way. So any one of those three would be fairly common issues. How many miles do you have on it, Marvin? It's got 94,000. If you jacked it up and moved the uh, front wheels, would mm-hmm. that be an indication? If you, you, if you would, know what you're looking for and you have a way to unload it. because right. You what, have to jack it up underneath the body, not under the suspension. Okay. And if I remember, if I remember that little car, there's not a whole lot of places that you can actually lift the body and get the whole front end off the ground. You might be able to do it coming around the side, right behind the front wheel. There should be a little plate hanging down off the pinch well. Yes, sir. You can put your jack right there and jack that side of the car mm-hmm. up. You shouldn't have any slack side to side. Mm-hmm. As far as if you're standing in front of the tire, looking at the grab tire, grab it at three and nine. You shake it back and forth. You shouldn't have any slack that way. Okay. Then grab it at six and twelve and shake it that way. You shouldn't have any slack that way either. Now on the lower control arm bushings, it's a little more involved. You have to actually jack it up under the lower control arm to take the load off because the strut is pushing down mm-hmm. the spring, even though it's in the air, it's pushing and it's holding that bushing tight. So you would have to go under the arm and lift the arm up to take the slack out of that and take like a pry bar and pull against those bushings and see if there's any movement there. But at that lower mileage, the only way you would normally have slack in your lower arm bushes is if there were an oil leak of some sort and the oil had run down on them. That'll lead them up pretty fast. We see that quite commonly. But with no oil leaks, really those bushes ought to last much, much, much longer than that. Okay, so you'd be more apt to think motor mount? Yeah, with no kind of oil leak, I would suspect either a tie rod or a motor mount. And a motor mount, you can actually check sitting still. Right. Okay. If you'll take and put your foot on the brake, put it in drive, and accelerate it just a little bit while you're holding your foot on the brake. You'll see the motor. You'll lift see up. the motor lift up. Oh, and I see. Okay. Then put it in reverse and do the same thing. If the motor lifts up in reverse, the back mount is also broken. Right. You got to be real judicious with that, Marvin, because if you start really loading down that engine, number one, you can damage the transmission, but number two, you go throw a bunch of engine code because the engine power is increasing and the vehicle's not moving. So you got to be kind of judicious when you do that. Okay. Well, yeah. I sure no. appreciate Alrighty. the help. Okay, All right, man. sir. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye bye. Four nine 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 five two six number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we'd love to have you. Some of the newer cars actually won't allow you to power brake. I've come to find that out. Yeah, <laughs> they will see the vehicle is in drive and the brakes are applied, and they will not allow it to accelerate. Right, they just ignore you. Yeah, yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> well, they just eliminated a good diagnostic procedure. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. <laughs> but I understand you. what they're trying to do. It's part of that fiasco where they had all this hoopla run away. cars running away and all right they've never actually proven any of that that i've seen but what they're doing is they're putting 
software in that if you've got your foot on the accelerator and on the brake, it, it will just ignore the, the accelerator. Yeah, right. It cuts just the power. Kind of overrides the human factor uh, as best it can because I think most of the cases with the runaway acceleration, what they found was that the foot was actually on the accelerator <laughs> exactly. at the time, and it wasn't. Of course, uh, wanted to crucify Toyota for that and. Well, Toyota was kicking their butts, man. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, they, they were selling cars. I saw recently there was a case where the customer actually prevailed in the case. But, you know, to win a case, you don't have to necessarily prove the case. You just got to convince a jury. Exactly. <laughs> Which is emotional in many cases. You see somebody on one side and they're hurt, and you got a big company on the other side. Well, it's inviting to let's give this guy some money because right. he's hurt. And dotted. But we got to, hey, what, what happened here? What really happened? Exactly. I know it's a tragic thing this guy got hurt, but if he got hurt because he had his foot on the accelerator, well, I'm sorry, that's not the car company's fault. And right. car companies are kind of faceless, and it's easy to uh, persecute them, I guess. But well, uh, I haven't seen a shred of evidence that that's ever really been a problem. Right. I'm certainly not convinced by it. And that's the first time I've ever seen anyone actually prevail. And you know, I think Toyota just settled. They didn't actually win the case. Toyota settled the case out of court for whatever the amount was, I think that sets a dangerous precedent. Sometimes it's just way cheaper to settle something than it is to actually fight it out in court. But I think it's important to go ahead and spend money and fight it out just to prove the point. Well, and from what I read, that same accelerator pedal that they were claiming had all the trouble was being bought by several different manufacturers. Right. Well, Chrysler, Chrysler used the same exact pedal. Right. And, you know, they didn't didn't have Chrysler didn't have any trouble. them with it right. so much. But they did end up recalling and so on and so forth. And they have revised it but again in the united states you cannot hold a revision as evidence of a defect in other words just because someone revised something to make it better does not mean it was originally defective and that was part of tort law because if you allowed future revisions to be evidence of past defects then no one ever would revise anything (laughs) (laughs) so we would always have to say Right, it'd always be a problem. You'd have the same stuff forever and ever and ever. Wow. Yeah, they have all, for the most part, come in and put overrides in where if it sees brake application, it kind of overrides accelerator now and things like that to help, I guess, to whatever degree they can override the human element. And there's someone foot on it. If they hit the brakes, it'll override that. So it does help from that perspective. I did get one the other day. We tried that procedure on, and it actually threw a check engine light. Yeah, a lot of them will throw a check engine light. A lot of them will shut the throttle body down. General Motors having a good deal of trouble with that in that sometimes their throttle position sensors will not agree with their accelerator pedal sensor. Correct. And it will the vehicle will not go. In other words, you accelerate, and it won't go over about 20 miles an hour. Some of them won't even go over five. Yeah, and That's... they are actually under a recall for that on some of the Chevy pickup trucks, but not all of them. So, hey, we're going to take another quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Morning. And welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. <laughs> yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. (laughs) Agco Automotive has this to say about low-priced oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. 
Agco. It's the place to go. And me punch you with that bottle move. Hey, welcome back. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Free Tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And you put a 225 in front of that. We'd like to speak to you from anywhere in the continent. Kind of like <laughs> there you go. Yeah, give us a call, and we'll be glad to try to help you out, and you may be able to offer some fresh perspective to That's us. That's it, and today's furthest caller from the station That's right. gets a free Agco t-shirt mailed yeah, right. USPS first thing Monday morning. You got it. You get a shirt. Our undying appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> I know we've got tons and tons of folks who do listen to us from all over the country and really all over the world because we get email from them all the time and uh-huh. we had a couple of them and i thought made pretty good points so i decided to go ahead and print them out and mm-hmm. we got mr jim Furr. yeah i, I believe so. he's got a 06 pontiac gto and lives in wakanda illinois okay and he's actually got an 06 gto that he drives only in the summer mm-hmm. and he had a question about how he should store it because right. it sits about every for six months right. at a time and his biggest concern i think was on the fuel that he puts in what should he do with the gas and when you have a car that has to sit like that particularly if you're using ethanol fuel it's important that you put a stabilizer in the fuel when, when you, you purchase add it. it yeah you can't come back later on and add it it's not going to regenerate old fuel but it will help to keep Stabilizing, it from breaking down right. quite as quickly. Now, if it's got ethanol in your fuel, that's going to buy you about three months uh-huh. of use only. Beyond that, it's going to go bad anyway. You'll start to get phase separation, which can cause all kinds of issues. So let's say you have to store the car for more than three months. It's a real good idea to go in and siphon that fuel out at maybe two and a half months. Go ahead and put it in something that you're going to use it up pretty quickly. You're right. You're and every day. refill the tank. And I think a second part of his question, should you fill the tank or should you leave it empty or whatever it is best to store a car with a full tank of fuel correct because that will cover everything with fuel and reduce the chances of corrosion in the fuel tanks so right and you sit there with a big empty space of air between the fuel and the top of the tank you start getting corrosion build. right because air has moisture and moisture is going to corrode correct and most of the fuel tanks today are plastic so the tank won't corrode but, but the, the components inside unit and the fuel pump and all those sorts of things will because that's the only metal all the corrosion is going to be attracted to that one little spot almost like a hot spot well and this also stands for older cars with metal tanks in that's it. right even more so with those because with metal tank once you get the tank rusted inside you can have endless problems because that rust breaks off gets in the fuel pump takes fuel pump out and if you have a car that you have to keep putting fuel pumps in you might want to look check it yeah <laughs> especially if it has one of those old metal tanks uh, they've been using the plastic for quite a few years now, so theirs are getting less and less uh, right. problematic all the time. Let's go back to our phone lines with Garrett. Good morning, Garrett. Hello. Hello, Garrett. All right, now, I got a question. On, whenever it gets cold, maybe about like 35 degrees, mm-hmm. my check engine like come on, but when it warms up, maybe it's about 50, close to 60, it goes off. I was just curious as to what I might look towards in terms of that. I thought map sensor, but I don't know. Well, that's one thing. But again, Garrett, all you have to do is go in, have the codes run on it, see what code's being generated, and then test the components in that area. And that's going to tell you because a number of things can be temperature related. For instance, the oxygen sensors are going to have heaters on them. And those heaters may be weak and they can work adequately when it's warm outside, but when it gets cold, they can't. So they're going to throw a heater code because it takes too long for the O2 sensor to heat up. Another thing would be a thermostat. If the thermostat is bad and the engine takes too long to reach operating temperature, it can throw a code. Mm-hmm. And again, let's say it's partially stuck open, it may in warmer weather get to an adequate temperature, but in colder weather not. So mm-hmm. that's another possibility. Many, many, many other things, like for instance, even a vacuum leak, 
may be worse. Let's say the intake manifold's leaking. When it's warm, the manifold swells slightly and seals and shuts off, but when it's cold, it doesn't do it. So a lot of things could be temperature-related. You would start out by reading the codes, and don't take that code literally. Let's say the code says uh, oxygen sensor out of range. Well, that doesn't mean the oxygen sensor's bad. That's the mistake mm-hmm. most people make. It means it's out of range. So you got to go in and find out why it's out of range. It may be out of range because it's running too lean because you got a vacuum leak. It may be out of range because you got a spark plug misfiring and it's running too rich because it's got unburned oxygen in the exhaust. And what works on one vehicle does not work on the next vehicle. Right. So We've actually mm-hmm. proven that in the shop. We took a Toyota and a Chevy truck, mm-hmm. and we put a vacuum leak on both of them, and each one of them set a different code. Yeah, one set of mm-hmm. airflow sensor code and the other one set of O2 sensor code. Correct. So, you cannot ever take codes literally, but they do give you a handy spot to start if you understand how the system works and you know what to test from there. Mm. Uh, I appreciate you, sir. Thank you very okay. much. All right, All right Garrett. Sir. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. You're welcome. All right, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Eye, we'd certainly love to have you. And just in case you don't get a chance to call in or something occurred to you after we're off the air. That's right. You can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is www dot agcoauto.com that is a g c o a u t o easy way to remember that's altazan's garage company that's right i get you to our site there is a contact bar on each and every page you can send lewis an email any time of the day or night just use the form to supply it on the page that's right and he'll get you an answer back within 24 hours a lot of times sooner yeah just depending on when you send it and that is the only way to get in touch with me if you try to reply to one of those emails, it's just going to bounce it back to you because it's an automated thing, and you do have to go and fill out a fresh form each and every time. But fortunately, those forms will remember what you put in them previously. So when you go to it the second time, all you have to do is type in your complaint. It'll remember your vehicle. That's great. And it will even remember multiple vehicles. It'll remember your name and all that. That's as long as you have cookies enabled on your machine. Uh It puts a little cookie with that information. So next time you go to it, the screen will all be filled out for you, which makes it really, really easy. But we have to go to that system because a lot of times folks will reply to you and then they'll automatically add it to their guest list and you start getting tons and tons of stuff that people are forwarding around. Uh-huh. And I receive probably 100 to 200 email a day. I just can't sort through the ones that are good and the ones that aren't because I just can't get to the folks that I need to get to. So right. we have to go to a system where you do have to go to that and fill out a fresh form each time and that will put you through to my email but other than that it's just going to bounce it back to you with some kind of little reply message you can't reply to it and you can't just type in the email address it just won't accept it that way it's looking for a code that the computer generates when you use that form uh-huh. so that's and the reason we use that should you happen not to get anything back check the return address because check. it's real easy to mistype a character and once it's sent off and comes back that's about as right. far as if, we can go it with it bounces back to me i can't do anything with it so you won't get an answer also check your spam folder because a lot of times i know we had trouble with cox email we had trouble with at&t i think we've got both of those resolved now but they were throwing our stuff into a spam folder just because they look out and they see a server sending out a lot of email uh-huh. and they assume well this must be a spammer right they don't and take it for content no, they, they take it they for... just look at volume and right. they say a lot of volume is coming from this thing it's going to all these different email addresses this may be a spam source so they just start shutting it down uh-huh. and you had to go in and sent them documentation this is not spam this is stuff that people are requesting and so i I think we've got those two squared away but always check your spam folder and make sure that your email client hasn't automatically sorted it out exactly a lot of times you'll find your answer there (laughs) (laughs) and and if that happens to you let me know and i'll see what i can do from my end and you also can contact your email provider 
uh, your web provider and tell them what's happening and tell them this is something you want to re- receive. Correct. I think another thing you can do is go to your settings and add agcoauto.com as a safe sender. I think right, it is. yeah. I think there's a way to do that in Windows as well. I'm not sure how all that works, but uh, you may be able to do something like that. So anyway, that's how you do it. Now, while you're on that site, lots and lots of other good things you can do. Go to the detailed topics. You're going to find tons of information. I put one in this morning on checking transmission fluid on Toyota transmissions without a dipstick. Right. That is a is a wonderful article. It is a very complicated procedure to get it checked correctly. It is. Folks don't realize how many vehicles now do not have a dipstick on the automatic transmission. And the reasons that they are doing this, as it's been explained to me, it's not because they're cheap. It's not because they're mean. It's just because the fluid level in these transmissions is so incredibly precise. In other words, if it's just a few ounces off one way or the other, it can actually create problems and in some cases damage the transmission. And when you check fluid in a transmission, whether it has a dipstick or not, it is absolutely imperative that the vehicle's level when you check the fluid and you have to take the temperature of the fluid into account when you're checking it. Correct. And even if you're using a dipstick, you can end up with way, way wrong reading if you don't, if the vehicle's not level or if the fluid's too cold or too hot when you check it. Mm-hmm. So what this does, it has a little overflow tube that you take a plug out. Fluid will overflow when it gets to the proper level. Too much fluid runs out. Too little fluid won't come out, so you at, add until it does. At the proper temperature. But you have to be level, and you have to know the temperature of the transmission. And there is a procedure. If you have a Toyota scan tool, you can just go in and read the left. Right. Temperature. You actually plug into the ALDL connector. Right. And, and you can actually bring that PID data up, and you can actually see the temperature of the transmission fluid. But now it's different on each transmission. Correct. It's an A760E might be an IS300 Lexus or in a Tundra, but they both set at different temperatures. There's a temperature on the Lexus different from the one on the Tundra, even though it's the same exact transmission. Right. So fortunately, what they've done is they do sell a little tool that you can plug in between two of the terminals. It'll put it in a temperature detection mode. You have to shift the shifter back and forth from drive to neutral six times. And then when it gets to the proper temperature, the drive light will come on. Correct. That tells you, okay, you can go ahead and check it. If it starts to flash, it's gotten too hot, you have to stop, let it cool back down. So it's a little bit involved, but this article goes through step-by-step-by-step, by step by step, tells you how to do it. It's nothing that an advanced do-it-yourselfer couldn't do. With the proper tooling. Proper and tooling and the and proper knowledge. experience and the proper uh, information. But it is more than average person just wants to jump in and start trying to do himself because you, sure. you're liable to go really, really far wrong. Sure, it'll, so. it'll take you at least a half hour. It takes us about a half hour in the shop. It does add do a lot of time, and what it is, see, these things don't hold a lot of fluid, so the amount of fluid to have in them is extremely critical. Yes. And that fluid expands quite a bit and contracts quite a bit, so if it's not checked at the right temperature or if it's not perfectly level, and this goes through telling you how to tell if the vehicle's level, how to tell if it is the right temperature. Uh-huh. So it just gives you a way that you can check that, or if you service the transmission yourself, how to check and make sure you get the right amount of fluid in it. So, some, and some of your other manufacturers Ford have different uses, procedures. Well, Ford uses a very similar method of checking it with their 5R55 series transmissions, uh-huh. but they're not quite as crucial on the temperature as Toyota, as Toyota is. is. But anyway, it just gets into the whole thing, which is a coming deal, the transmissions that do not have dipsticks. Oh, yeah. Fewer and fewer transmissions in the future will have dipsticks. So you're going to have to go through a special procedure to get right, them checked correctly. Right. Just one of those things you're going to have to know. Right. Let's go to our phone lines with Bruce. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. A friend of mine got a, I think it's an 06, 07 Mazda car. Okay. That keeps eating up front wheel bearings. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that? 
Yes, sir. Many, many times. A lot of times, Bruce, it could be a number of things. When did the first bearing go? How many miles did you have when the first bearing went out? Oh, I don't have any idea. That's what you need to find out because if the first bearing went out at really low mileage, then he's probably got a damaged component on the car, something like a bent knuckle, or and that can happen just from bumping a curb or whatever. Now, if the first bearing lasted a long time, he put a new one in and it went out right away, then he put another new one in and it went out right away, chances are they're not being installed properly. And even if it's going to a dealership or a shop, that is still the case. I got a two-part article on my website entitled, Why Front Wheel Bearings Fail. And it gets into the procedure of why these things go bad and how they have to be pressed in. When you press a wheel bearing in, you can absolutely ruin it in just a matter of seconds. And a lot, lot, lot of dealerships and shops do not know the proper way to press them in. So if the first bearing lasted, say, 100,000 miles, he changed it and went out in 10,000, and he changed it again and went out in another 10,000, that's most likely what's happening. If the original bearing went out at, say, 10, 15, 20,000, and another one went out at 10, 15,000 more, and so on, he's probably got damage somewhere in that front end. This article also tells him how to check that. All righty. Well, I'll pass it on. All right, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. We're going to take one last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Mike. How are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-price $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in and we just happen to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. (laughs) Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strapanoid filter head needs to be replaced. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change, and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive, with our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And we still have several minutes left, so we can get your call in and get an answer for you. That's right. We were on the transmission issue a while ago, and we have an email here from Mr. Semicars from Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Got a 100,000 miles on a 03 Honda Element. Yes, sir. And said he occasionally has a hard 1-2 shift. Only 1-2. More than likely, the 1-2 solenoid is getting clogged up with debris, debris or, or trash mm-hmm. or something. And it's actually just skipping second gear and going straight to third gear. Right. A lot of times people think it's a hard second gear shift. But what the transmission is doing is it's not seeing second gear. Or it's not able to go to second gear. So it jumps from first. It hesitates and goes to third. And it gives you a jerk when that occurs. Uh-huh. And he was asking, is there a way to check this without taking the transmission apart? And there certainly is. What you would do is a what they call a pressure test. There are some little ports in the side of the transmission that you can remove the plug. And these tap into the ports and actually show the amount of pressure being applied to the clutches. So if we put a pressure gauge on, we hook a scan tool to it, we, we watch the gear that's being commanded. So let's say it commands first gear, the pressure rises. Pressure drops, it commands second gear, the pressure does not rise. Correct. Well, then we know that probably the solenoid is not opening for some reason. That's the reason this pressure is not rising. 
So then we would go in and test the solenoid. We could actually air test it by going in, putting air on the input side, see if it comes out on the output side, and so on. There are ways to test this. But let's say the pressure does rise. Okay. And the car still does not go to that gear. Well, now we know we've got command because we saw it on the scan tool. Correct. We know we've got pressure, so now we know the problem is internal to the transmission. Right, and at this point, it's time to make a decision. Right, you would have to decide if you want to tear it down and, and find out what the exact problem is. It could be something like a burned-up 1-2 clutch. It could be a cut seal on the 1-2 drum where it applies, but uh -huh. it's going to be an internal problem. And when you have an internal problem in a transmission it's sort of a moot point because if you have 100,000 miles on and you're going to have to take transmission out and take it completely apart, which on a Honda you're going to have to do because it's going to pan, you're really going to be into a rebuild. Sure. There, there's just not a way you're going to be able to go in and fix this one problem. Well, it's not feasible. Yeah, I mean. Because you're spending a lot of labor to get that unit out. Right. Probably 16 hours to 18 hours labor to take it out, take it apart. It wouldn't make sense to put it back together with all the old seals and old clutches and fix just the one thing that's bad. Exactly. Also, when this one part goes bad, how much longer the other part's going to hang in there? So you well, put, and where did those old parts go? That's right. Well, now the metal and the debris that was exactly. generated by this part have circulated through the other parts. Correct. So the torque converter is going to have metal in it. And I also mentioned that what you could do is to drain some fluid into a clear container and just kind of hold it up to the light and look. If you see a bunch of metal particles floating around Real in it. Real sparkly looking. Right. right. Or if the fluid is burned, let's say you smell it and it smells like burnt popcorn, that's pretty much a dead giveaway. You've Correct. got a transmission you know, problem. You know it's time to, to make a decision whether you're going to rebuild or get rid of the vehicle. Get rid of the vehicle or whatever the case may be. Right. And we get that call quite a bit. Is it feasible for me to rebuild this transmission or replace this engine or uh -huh. name a, a major job? And what I tell folks a lot of times or what I generally ask folks is, well, do you like the vehicle? Does it do what you want to do? And sometimes the answer is, well, no, I really don't like it very much, and I'm tired of it, and I've had a number. Okay, well, don't even think That's about it. That's it. It's get, time to get rid of it's it. Time, this is the perfect time for you to get rid of it. Right. Go ahead and trade it in, get what you can get for it, sell it on the scrap market or whatever, and go ahead and move on. But now many times reply will come that, yes, I really like the vehicle. It does everything I want. Other than this problem, I've enjoyed it. Uh -huh. I like it. Well, then the next question will be, well, what kind of shape is it in other than this problem? Right, the rest of the vehicle. Well, it's in pretty good shape. I never had any trouble with other than this. Well, now you think about it, you've got a vehicle that's worth very little, if anything. Let's uh -huh. say the transmission is out in it. Well, it's worth basically nothing. I mean, right, you might, get, you might get $200 for a scrap yard, $300, but basically it's worth zero right now. Let's say you drop $3,500, put a transmission in it. Okay. Well, they may say, well, the car is only worth $3,500. Okay, well, that's true, but it's worth what it's going to cost you to replace it. Right. Because to get another car is going to be ten to 15000 This one, you can put three into it. Right now, it's worth zero. You put three in it. You can drive it for a year, two years, three years. You could probably still get three back out of it. Sure. So really, it's not costing you anything to buy yourself a whole bunch of time. And what we have to always remember is that nobody rides free. Sure. Once you get your car paid for, the costs do not quit. It's just that we quit paying on a monthly basis. But we know that things are wearing out, and so there's still a cost. Every time you start your car, there's a cost. Sure. And if you took the price of replacing that vehicle, divided it by the number of times you will ever start it in its lifetime, you could come out with a per cycle cost. In other words, every time it starts, it's going to cost you this much. Okay. You know, let's say it costs $10,000 for a new car, and you go start it 10,000 times. Well, it costs a dollar every time you start it. All right. Plain and simple. Now, you may not look at it that way, but that's just a fact. And you don't pay it all at one time. You pay it in spurts. So what happens is 
you may go along a long time. You may go four or five months not spend any money at all. Well, you're not riding for free. That cost is accruing. Sure. And eventually and inevitably, something's going to break. When it breaks, it has to be fixed, and the cost has to come from somewhere. Well, let's say you're faced with a $3,000 repair. We say, oh, my God, it's more than the car is worth. Well, again, let's balance it out over time. Let's say you've gone two years without spending any money, and you can do this repair and go another two years. Well, then we have to divide that $3,000 over a four-year period. Correct. And when you look at it that way, it's really not that much. It's just people are confused because they don't think of things that way. Oh, my God, this is just too much money, blah, blah, blah. But is it really? Because when you buy another car, let's say you pony up and buy a new car. Well, the average car now is about $30,000. And that does not guarantee no repairs. Well, that's right. And in Baton Rouge, there's a 9% sales tax. So you're going to spend $2,700 sales tax. Sure. You're insurance is going to go up because you're insuring a new car you have to you have to carry carry full full coverage coverage. correct finance the car you're going to have finance charges in many many cases so when you add all that up it really there nobody is riding for free right most people don't see all that i've done it myself you bought a new vehicle and Mm -hmm. really didn't see the increased payments and the increased money that comes with a new vehicle that's right it's not just the initial cost of the vehicle well that and with newer cars now many of them use the great big 18 19 20 inch tires so when you get ready to replace tires they're gonna cost a lot more than your old car did the technologies that are used on a car some of them are great some of them are real handy but again when they break they cost a lot more to address they do so it's not always as simple as just making a decision on a single issue and not looking at everything else you'll generally go wrong more times than not right Hey, we want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written rating. We yeah, really appreciate that. Really do. That lets us know we're doing a good job. It also moves us up in ratings. You'll listen again next week. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Yeah.